Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 357. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2018, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 300. As I mentioned during last week's show, we've just experienced the fourth annual American Flowers Week, the original domestic floral promotion holiday that's an inclusive campaign filled with local, seasonal, and beautiful flowers and foliage in all 50 states. This virtual campaign gave me a peek into all corners of the U.S. as I witnessed flowers, farms, creativity, and events taking place in regions all around the country, as well as connections across social media platforms. And during the heart of American Flowers Week, we held the second annual Slow Flowers Summit. As an interactive live element of the campaign, the summit drew more than 100 attendees, speakers, designers, flower farmers, innovators, influencers, and leaders in the Slow Flowers movement. In the coming weeks, I hope to release all sorts of content from the DC Slow Flowers Summit. But for now, I want to share a few words from my opening remarks on June 29th. Please bear with me. It's personal and, as my husband would say, probably contains too much backstory, but that's how I am. Here's what I said at the beginning of our day. I thought I'd take a moment to acknowledge how significant it is that we're all here at the Slow Flower Summit for year two. How did this come to be? There had been talk over the years of a conference focused on domestic flowers, including some initial conversations I had with the California Cut Flower Commission and the San Francisco Flower Mart several years ago. The desire was real, but the idea never went anywhere, and it later became clear that the Slow Flowers community wanted something different, more intimate and inclusive than a big industry event. So what brought us from idea to reality? Before I left Seattle to travel here, I pulled out an email from April of 2015 sent to me by one of our speakers, Mary-Kate Canane of The Local Bouquet. The email's subject line read, New Ideas. And remember, she wrote this more than three years ago. Mary-Kate said, I hope all is well with you and the family, and I'm hoping that the Slow Flowers movement has new and exciting things coming its way. I've been wanting to contact you since I returned from my amazing experience at the Chapel Designers Conference in New York, and especially after meeting people like Jimmy Lore of Green Center and others. My wheels have been spinning, and so I wanted to share some of my ideas with you. Jimmy and I discussed how our Slow Flowers family needs an event like what Holly Chapel has created for florists across the U.S. 
an event that would gather designers from across the United States who have pledged to use local and American-grown flowers to network and train with each other from experts in our field. I think it is time we bring the Slow Flowers website to life with an event at which all of the flower farmers and florists who have pledged to use their local and seasonal blooms could get together and network. I think it would be great to actually gather everyone together to talk, farmer and florist. Let's start with the East Coast. And then I added, well, Mary-Kate, we started last year in Seattle, but yes, today we're here on the East Coast. She closed her note by saying, I'm really proud that we are still able to stick to our mission of staying 100% American and locally grown in everything we buy. Now that I have bombarded you with ideas and thoughts, let me know if any of it interests you, because obviously we can't do it all. So Mary-Kate and I had a few lighthearted email exchanges after that, and while nothing happened immediately, the idea stuck with me because that was the year we launched American Flowers Week in 2015. The following year, in 2016, I had a memorable conversation with Amy Stewart, author of Flower Confidential, the groundbreaking book that stimulated awareness of sustainable practices and flower sourcing in our industry. We both remarked that the 10-year anniversary of Amy's book would take place in 2017, the following year. Amy turned to me and said, we should do something together to commemorate it. And I think she meant, you should do something, Deborah. The seed that Mary-Kate had planted grew a few more roots that day. Weeks later, during the 2016 San Francisco Flower and Garden Show, I attended a dinner where a very similar conversation took place with Christina Stemble of Farm Grow Flowers, Teresa Savankaya of Bonnie Dune Garden Company, who spoke last year, Beth Van Sant of Scenic Place Peonies, and Bay Area florists Susan Kelly and Kathleen Williford, all Slow Flowers members. We spoke further about a Slow Flowers live gathering and agreed to continue brainstorming at a workshop Teresa and I were to teach together later that year at her studio in Santa Cruz. By then it was September of 2016 and I couldn't let go of the notion that hosting a live conference during American Flowers Week would be a great way to celebrate what had been a virtual social media-centric event. I attended the TEDx Seattle conference a few months later in November and found myself enjoying the presentations, but actually spending more time analyzing the structure and flow of the conference, projecting my ideas onto that very successful framework at which a number of speakers and topics are presented in a single day. Over the holidays, I called Amy and asked, if I host a Slow Flower Summit, will you give the keynote? She said, yes, of course, and I jumped right in, finding a venue in Seattle and inviting a fabulous lineup of speakers. The summit took place on July 2nd, 2017 in Seattle. We had 91 attendees and it was an incredible first effort. Amy Stewart and Teresa Sabankaya were two of those first speakers, and a few of you were also there. Thank you for returning. We have Christina Stemble, Kit Wirtz, and Mud Baron, all who attended last year, and surprise, they're presenting this year. And we have returning attendees, Nan Matson of Queen City Flower Farm in Cincinnati, a self-described urban microflower farm, and Sarah Reyes of Unfurled, based in Oakland, a floral designer and self-described floral liaison. I'm so happy to see you both here. Well, that was my recap about the birth of the Slow Flower Summit. And now I have a big announcement for you. The third Slow Flower Summit will take place on July 1st and 2nd, 2019 in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. Save the dates. I'm so pleased we have a co-host in Christine Hoffman, founder of Twin Cities Flower Exchange, a floral wholesale hub 
that represents local flower farmers and chemical-free practices now in its second season. Christine is a past guest of this podcast, and I'm so pleased she agreed to welcome the Slow Flowers community to the Twin Cities, where a lot of exciting things are taking place in the floral world. To share more, I've asked Christine to join me for a short preview of what's in store for you next year. today to have on the line my friend Christine Hoffman from Minneapolis and Christine is the founder of the Twin Cities Flower Exchange. Hi Christine. Hello Deborah. Hello everyone. <laughs> well we just saw each other <laughs> in Washington DC and I'm I'm just thrilled that you came. You actually were the first person to register for the Slow Flower Summit in DC. <laughs> Yes, yes, I was. <laughs> was it I was just very excited? Yeah, it was pretty early in the year, so you must have just been thinking, "Oh my gosh, of course I can take time to do that in the middle of the of the busy flower season, right?" Absolutely, yeah. I I really uh, missed out last year. Uh, the first year I, I wanted to come support the summit. I was very excited. You you started it. You've been a great supporter of uh, what I've been doing out here in Minneapolis and. Being a month into our first season of the Flower Exchange, I just didn't feel like I could swing it last year. So as soon as it came up this year, I was I was there for sure. <laughs> That's right, because you launched in 2017, um, and we we did a little ta- conversation on the podcast about the launch. Um, so it's, yeah, this is a good chance to get an update. Tell everybody what the Twin Cities Flower Exchange is, and um, how how's it going now that you're in year two. Sure. Yeah. The Twin Cities Flower Exchange is a wholesale market. So we um, aggregate from a bunch of flower farmers in the area, and then we sell to wholesale buyers. So retail florists, uh, studio florists, um, caterers, event planners, anyone with a business that uses flowers, right? Um, And yeah, so we are in our second season. We just started, you know, we're a little bit late here in Minnesota, so we don't start our season until June 1st, um, and we're about a month in, and it's going really, really well. We have, let's see, we have a dozen core farmers this year, and then a few others who are, you know, either dedicated dahlia growers, or they just have peonies, mm-hmm. or a specialty crop that mm-hmm. they bring in. Mm-hmm. So you are, a, are you, I know you were a one day a week market. Is that what, what you're continuing this year? That is still true this year. Yeah, we are open uh, Wednesdays only. Okay. And so there's this sort of central location in the Twin Cities that um, is pretty innovative. You're being hosted by like a food hub, right? Yeah, it's a really, has turned into a really great partnership with the Good Acre. Um, they're a local food hub and they have this great facility, a big warehouse and coolers, and they are a nonprofit. So they are interested in, you know, um, really incubating and helping small businesses grow. And so um, it's really the only way this could have happened to have Mm -hmm. that facility available to us. And Mm -hmm. they're lovely people and great partners and great supporters. And they're doing really wonderful work through the food hub as well. Well, it makes sense. They're supporting agriculture in the Twin Cities, but it doesn't have to just be food agriculture. It could be floral agriculture. Right. Flowers and flower farming was a bit of a new concept even to them, and they were a little surprised to hear that people were growing flowers as a crop. Um, 
but yeah, they were absolutely open to it. And, um, we've had a really great time being there. That's great. So when you say you have this core of about a dozen flower farmers who are Mm -hmm. uh, bringing their product into the Twin Cities Flower Exchange, are they all in Minnesota or are there larger distances that people are coming? We have, uh, our farmers are from Minnesota and um, Western Wisconsin, okay. which is really not that far away um, right. distance-wise. Um, so right now, yeah, Minnesota and Western Wisconsin only. Right, because you're probably the biggest metro market to those with people just over the state border. Yep, yep. Right. And then what about your, do you have a buyer's card program? I can't remember how you're doing that with your your wholesale buyers. We do. It, uh, it does require a buyer's pass. So um, they purchase a yearly pass for $65 a year. Um, and that is just to kind of keep that to the trade only, right? Mm-hmm. At this time, we don't we don't offer our flowers to DIY brides or the public in any way. So mm-hmm. it really is that, you know, to the trade only. Mm-hmm. And you've got a lot of local press. So I'm, I'm assuming that, that um, the number of buyers pass holders has increased over last year as well, just with interest. Yeah, the interest has definitely increased, and yes, thanks to some really lovely local press um, and just word of mouth from the buyers that we did have last year. You know, the quality of the product, and they were they've been really happy with what they've gotten. So that word of mouth always helps a lot too. But we are at, I think, right as of today, about double the buyers we were at last year. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it's, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, we don't have the program figured out for the Slow Flower Summit uh, in Minnesota, but. <laughs> You will be telling this story in a more in-depth way, maybe um, with one or two of your farmers or florists. We'll figure something out so that people can really, really see the model of a startup and how this is a for-profit business. This is your business. Um, A cooperative just wasn't happening and you stepped in and said, I'm going to do it, right? Sure. Yeah, I I decided to to go ahead and do it as a for-profit business. the feedback was mixed as far as the cooperative and it just felt like the time to strike was then and I really wanted to get it going. So I just took it on as a for-profit and certainly, you know, a big learning curve as a, as a new model and um, trying to be all chemical free as well. Um, And there, you know, different models have popped up across the U S just depending on what is working for people in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but so far so good. We'll, <laughs> we'll see, um, after the second season, right. um, you know, there's, there's something new every week to, <laughs> to learn and adapt to. So, yeah. Well, you're a pioneer. I mean, someone has to go out on a limb and start a new innovative idea. And, um, this, the, there are a few, you have a few sisters around the country who are also, yeah. um, kind of going this model, whereas there's, Uh, some very, uh, uh, you know, interesting cooperative models and also some almost like Mm -hmm. even looser organizations that are trying to get um, a hub going for flowers. So it'll be great to talk about these models and maybe educate people about bringing something like this to their, their region or their market. um, Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've certainly talked to a lot of these, you know, other areas and other people that are trying to get a similar concept going maybe with a different model. And it's interesting to hear, you know, what's happening in different areas of the country and how it's working. So it'll be really great to recap that um, next year and just see how everyone's doing. Yes. Yes. And we, we don't have all the details. We are literally one week 
in recovery from the Slug Flower <laughs> Summit in D.C. At least I'm speaking for myself. Um, but, yeah. but we do have the dates uh, and um, details about the Twin Cities Flower Exchange up on the Slow Flower Summit website. And you can uh, go to that and sign up to receive updates. Um, I'm going to visit Christine in August, so I think we'll work out some details then and um, be able to announce you know, our venue and our program and registration, you know, hopefully later this year so people can plan ahead. Um, Great. So, yeah. And one thing I'm excited about is we kind of just bit the bullet and said, let's make this a two-day event, which is sort of a, a leap from a one-day <laughs> event. <laughs> so, Why not? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll have at least one or two farm tours, um, you know, tacked on to that, oh, for sure. that first day. But the dates are uh, that we've set are July 1st and 2nd of 2019. And um, I'm just ex- excited to see a different part of the country. We've been on the West Coast. We've been on the East Coast. It's nice to come to the upper Midwest and really see um, one of the leading uh, hubs for emerging flower farming. I mean, I know you have farmers who've probably grown for a long, long time, but you also have some relatively um, young farmers or newer farms, right, that you're working with. We have a lot of new and emerging flower farmers um, every week, it seems. So it's really, the wave has really hit here and we have a, a really strong community um, for the farmers. Everyone, you know, loves to share ideas and information. Um, and then we also have this great, really supportive business community of buyers and like-minded businesses who are who are supporting, supporting the, the flower exchange and local flowers and they're just, it's so much fun to see the excitement from the buyers every week. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I mean, I watch you on your Instagram feed and I just see the product that you're having, um, <laughs> on offer and it's, it's luscious, it's unique, it's uncommon and beautifully grown. So why wouldn't you go crazy if you were a designer wanting to get this, your hands on right. this stuff? Yay. Well, Christine, thanks for saying yes. When we ask if you would co-host the <laughs> summit with us. <laughs> I love, I love to be a hostess. I love, yeah, I love a woman who, I mean, literally people, the words were not out of my mouth and she said, I'm in. <laughs> so be careful if Deborah Prinzing calls you. <laughs> really? And, um, and I don't call Christine and ask her to do anything else because I want her focus on this. <laughs> um, well, thanks for attending the summit too. Can give me just share with everybody just a few things that that you took away with uh, with you after uh, spending a day with uh, your peers and other pioneering uh, you know, thought leaders in the floral industry. Right. Um, I mean, it's so much fun to just be in a room full of you know other flower geeks. Really, yeah. <laughs> you know, people just love to talk about flowers. Um, um, I mean, that alone is worth the trip just to have that, you know, that bonding and that energy. Um, you know, Christina from Farm Girl Flowers had so much great information, um, you know, kind of for me as this, as this for-profit business yeah. right now, I'm thinking a lot in those terms. So she was great. Um, all the designers had really great, interesting tips for, you know, kind of scaling your business in new ways. Um, and of course, flowers on your head. How can, you know, that's yeah. just too much fun, yeah. really. Mud, Mud, <laughs> Mud Baron posted a great series on his Instagram feed of you. I, and <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, yes, we'll, yes. we will invite Mud back. I, you know, who's to say what will happen to that, uh, 
I mean, he's a free spirit. Who's to say what he'll be doing in a year? But I know that he right. He was so pumped to be part of the summit for year two and to um, just yeah. engage with uh, the DC community and um, more to come on that. But uh, thanks for for being part of it. And uh, now, of course, <laughs> you can host a summit when you've already attended one, so you know you know the drill. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So if you're interested in partnering with the summit uh, in night in 2020, come to 2019 and you come can come to the Twin Cities. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Christine, thanks so much. Um, anything else you want to add before we go on to our day? Just we are really excited to host the summit in 2019. The Twin Cities is a great community all around and uh, the flower community is is ready to host. We'll see you in 2019. Awesome. Then we'll have, I'll have um, a couple links uh, in today's show notes um, for um, how to find and follow Christine and also um, maybe a link to our past two interviews that we've had. Um, I interviewed you when you were a retail florist. So that's kind of a fun story yeah. to, in the Wayback Time Machine to, to hear what you did then. <laughs> and that led to what you're doing now. Practice progress. <laughs> Great. Thanks so much, Christine. Thanks, Deborah. See you soon. That was great. I'm so pleased we could grab that audio at the last minute to share with you today. You can find more details about Christine and Twin Cities Flower Exchange included in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com. And follow links to sign up for our Slow Flower Summit mailing list to receive updates on locations, speakers, and registration details later this year. If you happen to find yourself in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area on Sunday, August 12th, please join me at a reception that Christine is hosting for the local floral community. It will take place at Good Acre, the food hub that houses Twin Cities Flower Exchange. Follow my links for more details and to RSVP. They'll be in the show notes at deborahprinzing.com. Okay, on to our main guest, Scott Paris of High Hand Nursery in Loomis, California. I met Scott through succulent expert Robin Stockwell, who was a 2017 guest of this podcast when his book Succulents was published. As owners of independent nurseries, Robin and Scott move in the same circles. And recently, when Scott mentioned that he wanted to add cut flowers to his property, a private Sacramento area residence and gardens called Maple Rock, where High Hand Nursery hosts seasonal open garden events, Robin told him to reach out to me. Scott invited me to visit High Hand and spend a day in early June talking about growing cut flowers on his property in the Sacramento area. He generously agreed to my suggestion that we pull together the local flower farming and floral design community for a meetup at Maple Rock Gardens. On June 4th, about two dozen passionate local flowers people did just that. I took an early morning flight from Seattle to Sacramento and Scott met me at the airport. We drove to High Hand Nursery, which completely blew me away, and more on that during our conversation. Ultimately, we met up at Maple Rock Gardens for garden touring, introductions, and networking, a picnic garden lunch provided by High Hand, and a brainstorming session about promoting local flowers in Sacramento. Please visit deborahprinzing.com to see a gallery of photos of High Hand Nursery and Maple Rock Gardens, including our gathering. What's happening in the area is so exciting when it comes to interest and demand for local flowers. I'm eager to return and continue engaging, especially with the dynamic Facebook group called Sacramento Flower Collective, and several of their members were in attendance at our meetup. Scott Paris will share the story of his full-service, multifaceted nursery and give you insights into how a single-location retail venue has realized great success despite independent garden centers going out of business right and left. 
The big boxes and regional chains have certainly taken a bite out of the nursery trade, but High Hand continues to thrive because of Scott's ability to connect with customers through storytelling, unique plant offerings, and exciting special events. The nursery is housed in a historic fruit packing shed, along with a cafe and a number of boutique shops, gourmet food offerings, art and antique galleries, vintage home and garden items, and other departments that make it possible to spend entire day under one roof at High Hand Nursery. It's definitely a lifestyle destination. By the way, the High Hand brand dates back more than a century. In 1901, the Loomis, California-based Fruit Growers Association was founded and continues to operate today. In 1926, the group constructed High Hand Fruit Sheds as its central packing plant. During peak operations, up to 100 workers were employed there during harvest season, packing and shipping local mountain-grown fruit under the High Hand label to major markets around the world. Today, the High Hand handmade tradition is carried forward at High Hand Nursery. You can still get a sense of this history as you walk through the High Hand Fruit Shed, where workers' names are still written on the posts and rafters of the historic building. This is an inspiring story, and I believe learning how Scott has connected his customers with horticulture may offer ways floriculture businesses can similarly connect with their markets. Let's get started. Please meet Scott Paris. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so happy today to introduce Scott Paris of High Hand Nursery and Scott, I want to say Sacramento, but we're officially in Loomis, right? We're in Loomis, California, a little side street along I-80. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me here. Um, I We just had an amazing Slow Flowers meetup at your private gardens, basically your display gardens Correct. at Maple Rock Maple Gardens. Maple Rock Gardens, yes. Um, and I just didn't expect that I was going to ask you to be on the podcast, but your story is so fabulous and so fascinating, and I think there's a lot of parallels between nursery retail and floral retail, and between horticulture and floriculture. I just think there's a lot of parallels that that will inspire other people. So I want to ask you to tell people a little bit about what you do, and give us a snapshot of High Hand, and uh, then we'll talk about Maple Rock. Well, High Hand, uh, we are a uh, nursery. High Hand Nursery is, again, in Loomis, and we're located at a, a very old property that was built, uh, started back in 1901. So the name High Hand was associated with the fruit packing shed. There's all these old fruit labels on everything, and that was the original label? That's the original label. Wow. Original fruit crates, yeah. Okay. So, so High Hand, the name really came from, it was on the building, but the name really came from being synonymous with uh, high quality. Mm-hmm. It's a high hand, so it must be a winning hand. Right. Winning hand is high quality. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, okay, so High Hand is uh, synonymous over a century with high quality. When did it become a nursery? About 2003 is when I looked at the site and thought, well, I needed to have a place to put uh, the landscape side of our company. And so I rented it. Because uh, you had been, a um, up to, to then, a commercial landscaper. Right? Yeah, I've been, I've been self-employed all my life, for over 30 years. So, yes, uh, residential landscaper, design-build contractor. And so so the nursery, you know plants. I like plants. I mean, you know, I don't know that I know everything about plants. I know enough, yeah. you know, to be able to support myself, my family, and everybody here doing it. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an endless source for my creativity. There's always a different combination. Right, right. And that's in all four seasons. I mean, as a designer and a contractor, 
you were creating beautiful spaces, but you there was something that that drove you to start a retail nursery, which is a whole different animal, right? Yeah, the retail sites, you know, retail is can can have its challenges. Um, for me, it was just about having access because I mean, I'm I'm passionate about what I did. I realized that I didn't want my passion to be um, your passion mm-hmm. in the sense that. If you were a breeder or you were a hybridizer or you were the grower choosing the plants to grow that I had to buy from, then I'm beholden to that. So you were limited then? I was limited, sure. Yeah, Yeah, your red is not my perfect red. I want that one over there or I want that blue over there. And uh, so for the most part, I started the retail side as a grower retailer so that I had access to plants on my terms when I wanted them. And um, so that's how it all kind of got started. And from there, it just kind of blossomed out. Right. And so now you're a full-service nursery garden center with a lot of allied businesses Stuff. under one roof. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of vertically integrated and in sense it's a circle. So, you know, um, food and garden centers are becoming kind of the next big hybrid of things. Um, a lot of garden centers are looking for other crossover categories uh, food is obviously a natural one. So we have a restaurant here that seats, uh, I don't know, 150 plus. Wow. And it's called High Hand Cafe. High Hand Cafe. We're a full scratch kitchen. Okay. And, um, you know, I would say coming from the nursery industry and, and building and operating a restaurant is like jumping into the seat of a 747 that you've never flown before. <laughs> you better be careful. Um, <laughs> when did you open the cafe? Uh, gosh, it's been 10 years, wow. 10, 12 years. Yeah. Wow. And you and, told me earlier it's because you really love food and good food. But it's also because your customers, what, you gave them something to do when they Yeah, well, were here. We, we did it in 08. Okay. And what we wanted to do was we wanted to draw people in and give them a reason to come here. It's really about getting boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. Once we got boots on the ground, we can get them for, we, we, we can, they can purchase food, and then they can go into the nursery and shop. We have a gift store. We have an olive oil store, which is another crossover again. And the olive oil store actually supplies a lot of the balsamics for the restaurant and our dressings and things like that. Um, the art gallery is at the other end of the property, and... And, of course, all this is at highhand.com. Um, but it really was just about trying to get people here and hold them here. It's like a casino with no clocks. Interesting. We don't want people to know what time it is. We want them to just get lost here. Well, you said that this is your personal sanctuary. It's become a personal sanctuary for... Sure. Even if people don't have a garden, they still want to come here, right? They do. It's, you know, it's one of those places that I try to create it. It's a destinational place. It's a, an experiential place, and um, I just want it to be that, yeah, plain and simple, yeah. and do that, and then people will come. So what is your relationship with getting people to events? You have created this sort of spinoff at your private gardens that um, is called Maple Rock Gardens. That's where you live, and how about how far is that from here? Uh, about ten minutes, maybe. Okay. Yeah. When, when was the first time you decided to let the general public, aka the high end customer, uh, into the grounds or invited them in? It was some years ago. We we just basically opened it up as a garden tour. Okay. Um, from then it kind of morphed into I don't know maybe five or six, seven, eight years ago. Who knows? Yeah. Um, you know uh, when you know this when you're in the plant business you really don't have the calendar. <laughs> You know, well, we that, operate off of weeks, right? So week 32, week 35, week 30, whatever, right? So the and, clock that you don't want the customers to, to see, you don't get to see either? Uh, no, it's it's seasonal. Everything's <laughs> seasonal, you know? And so, yeah. Um, 
So, I mean, sometimes in business, someone will say, how long have you been in business? I have to think about how many tax returns I've done. Yeah. Because I really can't put a number to it. Well, I've done 14 tax returns or 32 tax returns, you know. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, that's how I, I look at it. Yeah. But um, for the most part, you know, we invited people over there and, um, you know, they, they can come and tour. And we had our Bloomtastic event is usually the day before Mother's Day. And so we get a lot of uh, families and Right. You know, people over there. What is Bloomtastic? What happens on that day? A Bloomtastic, we have our we have a train, we have a garden train that's going. We have our trains, we serve food, um, everything's in bloom. Um, and it's basically just you, you control the garden. Okay, so something to bring your mother to or your grandmother to or your family. family. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're not selling plants per se. No, okay. not selling a thing. Okay, but we're, you're, we're you're charging a nominal admission. We charge ten dollars, parking's free, and um, you know we simply allow people to come and look at the car. We have live music up top and at the at it's, the very top, and it's it. People don't have access to that stuff anymore. Our houses are getting smaller and smaller. Our lots are getting smaller and smaller. Our lives are getting busier and busier. And what gets cut out of your life? Yeah. Gardening. Right. Landscaping. Gets Nature. cut out of your life. Yeah. And this is, how many acres is it at, high, at uh, Maple Rock? At Maple Rock, it's about 30 plus acres. Um, about four and a half to five is under garden. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a botanical garden, really. I mean, I just spent the day there and it's, it's magical. It's stunning. It's lush. There's interesting plants. It's not... It's, there's meandering paths. There's water. It's, it's There's something to look everywhere you turn. Yeah. You know, and we try to keep it quiet. I view gardens and even the retail side of the nursery here at High Hand, I view everything as noise. And so what I do when I see something, um, you know, I'm not classically trained in plants. I don't have a degree in horticulture, so I have to process it differently. Mm-hmm. You know, a blind person uses a stick to see with. Right. Um, and does probably well, better than most able-bodied people. So your, your knowledge is just all uh, self-taught, really? Yeah, I just look at things as noise. So in a garden, I just take out all the th- items that are noisy, and anything I put back in is not noisy. Mm-hmm. And if it's not noisy, it's generally more comfortable, soothing, and peaceful. Yeah. Plain and simple. Yeah. So it seems to me that creating events that people want to go to has really become your secret sauce. Um, you've described the numbers of people who are on your mailing list. First of all, that number is... Crazy! It's like in the tens of thousands, mm-hmm. and over twenty. Yeah. Okay, and then how did you get all those names on your mailing list? Just over the years? Over the years, we we do it very organically. I actually don't. I mean, there's a place to sign up online, of course. Um, we send out one email a week. Uh, sometimes, if we have nothing to say, we don't try to jam it. We just don't send it out. Okay, you know, um, and. It's very organic. There's a couple sign-up places, and we end up adding, I don't know, two or three hundred a week. And by the way, by organic, you mean like a spiral-bound notebook with a pen. It's not like a digital thing. It's just someone has to go through your list and transcribe that into a database. It's, right. it's, it's That's how we have sign-up low-tech sign it up. is. Yeah, when I say organic, we're not we're not trying to sell you on our email list. Right. We don't capture your information at that point of sale. Okay. We don't do that. Um, we want people to sign up because they want to hear from us. Right. And we make sure that what they're hearing from us is something relevant to their lives. Yeah. You know, yeah. something simple. Yeah. An it's, observation. Yeah, you're giving you're giving them a, t- a twist on your point of view or something quirky that is happening I in don't, the plant world. I don't sell. Right. I educate you. Here's the events coming up. Here's some of my um, things. Here's my observations in my garden. Here are some thoughts. Here's what's coming up next year. What do you think? You know, just simply things like that. We're, we're not trying to sell blue jeans here. Right. You're selling, uh, you told me earlier, you're really selling a destination 
an experience and what was the third thing? Um, Experiential, inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. And then the destination. And destination, yeah. So this. So you want to have a place to go to. So this hunger to come to your garden and, and just come the day before Mother's Day and, and see something beautiful and have an outing, that has also continued throughout the year with other events. So we have lavender days where people can come and pick lavender. Um, they pay, a, again, a nominal fee. Um, well, like a one-day party, basically. It's one day, uh, 9 to 3. Wow. Yeah, we'll get probably 1,000 people out there. They'll pick lavender. They can bring a picnic lunch on that day, so it's very low-key. Um, they can walk down around the ponds and feed fish and do things like that. Um, we have train days, which is really a family order that we get a lot of children at train days, so we have the trains operating. It's because a, you have this garden train network. It's, it's yeah, huge. It's a G-scale network of about maybe 1,900 feet of track. Okay. Um, that's special. So that'll bring people out in um, in September. And then we have a, in October, we have a fall harvest day, which is pumpkins. Occasionally, we do other little pop-ups, uh, watermelon pop-up, for instance. Just depending on the crop, right? Yeah. We had tomato festival. We stopped doing the tomato festival uh, for weird reasons. <laughs> and watermelon got so big, we couldn't find enough choppers. Really? Yeah. So you were actually having people come out and what, just eat watermelon? Watermelon tasting, yeah. Wow. We had 40 different varieties of watermelon. Uh, That's fabulous. Uh, yeah. Tomatoes are the same way. The funny thing with tomato eating or tomato tasting places is that what always wins is super uh, the super sweet. Right. You know, because the, the tomatoes basically shut your taste buds down and, and the sweetness turns them back on again, right? So that, that one tomato always won year after year. We tried to put it at the end. We tried to put it at the beginning. And it just it actually just got so massive, we couldn't chop tomatoes fast enough. Wow. So we kind of scaled it back, and we'll bring it back next year, I think. The thing that you told me that I found so fascinating is how far apart is the garden from the nursery? Like 10-minute drive? 10 minutes, yeah. So you said that after people come out to the occasional, you know, seasonal event mm -hmm. at Maple Rock, those days are the, are the biggest days here at High Hand. We see bumps. Okay. So, you know, we schedule those events out there to coincide with the cafe hours and nursery hours, obviously. Okay. So if people are eating there, they'll come here and eat. And we've had uh, people that make reservations here in the morning and then go out there. A lot of times when we have events, we'll actually open up an hour early here. Sure. So people can come here at 8 and have breakfast and be out there by 9. So it's, it's, it's a synergy then between the two. It's a the circle. Two, yeah. Yeah. Locations. It's vertical integrations. It's a circle. And then we'll get people back here buying products and looking around the nursery. We do give out a map, and on the back of that map is upcoming events and a coupon for something. Sure. Yeah. And know. when they're at, at uh, Maple Rock, would they maybe see a particular shrub or flower and then know they could probably come here and, and ask for it? Or I mean, Correct. Do, do you cross-promote like that? So like Lavender Days, for uh -huh. instance. Uh, we need to have lavender here in the nursery. Yes, you do. Okay, we have two varieties out there, Hitcoat and Grosso, a little bit of Provence, and that's all we need here. We don't need to have 50 different varieties. Because people want to buy what they just saw. They want to buy what they just experienced. Or just cut. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, I think that the parallels, that we had, we've had a nice day of conversation and, and met a lot of Slow Flowers members who you just hosted for lunch, which was really fabulous, just to see what's happening here in Sacramento. Um, you're... What I've drawn from our conversation that I think would apply to people in floristry is um, being your own supplier, that there, I, I see that there is this movement among florists who are starting to grow their own flowers, um, or farmers who are trying to create retail-like events. And I, I feel like those are, are two things you've done successfully. Agritourism is something that people really gravitate to. 
because we're all looking for more sustainable ways to live within our communities. And um, they want to go out and experience something simple. It doesn't need to be fancy. It just needs to be simple. Well, clearly, um, I mean, I asked you if you had food trucks. You're like, no, I just, you know, I have lemonade. It's not... It, it doesn't have to be this overproduced kind of event. No, it doesn't. Right. And I think so many times it is overproduced. It doesn't need to look like a circus. Yeah. It just needs to... Or a music festival or something. Yeah, it just needs to speak to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when you go to a circus, your eyes are all over the place trying to catch it all, and you still can't catch it all, right? right. So, but if you're just staring at the tiger, you experience the tiger. And mm-hmm. So we try to do the same thing out there, so... So can we talk about what you hope to do with your land? Because you have a lot more land to grow, and you might... Um, not want to keep growing edibles, or are we growing edibles mainly for the restaurant, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Besides the watermelon festival. Correct. Yeah, we can grow more food than we can use. Okay. Yeah. And you don't want to have a farm stand per se. No. Yeah. No, it's my private home, and I need to be able to shut my head down. Yeah. So there's that there's that life work balance that always has to take place. And you're not going to bring extra food here and sell tomatoes by the pound or something. We do sometimes. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah, okay. we do. If you've got it. Sure, if we have yeah. it, it, it ends up out front in the, in the uh, market, yeah. But you're seeing some opportunity with the Lavender Festival that's kind of inspiring you to think about maybe some other crops that you might add. It's blocks, yeah. So uh, hydrangeas, for instance. Everybody likes hydrangeas. And you sell them in the nursery we, here. We grow and sell them here. Okay. Um, so we'll probably put in maybe a half acre of um, cut hydrangea farm in a, in a spot, kind of a micro area that we have. Um, sunflowers yeah. are big, yeah, because um, little girls like sunflowers. So well, they're just such such an emblematic, you know, summer flower that sure. says Bright, farm. It's cheerful, it's happy, yeah. it's life. It's a sunflower, and they're not that hard to grow. No, they're easy. Um, so we'll do sunflowers, and then we'll do other cut flowers. We'll probably uh, put in uh, David Austin Rose Gardens. Um, you know, I won't make it as a rose garden for sale. I'll just do drifts of roses, so I can succession plant or succession cut some roses and things like that. We do have some fruit out there as well. So, so you're saying that that will be more? It won't be a display garden per se. It'll be more for cutting. Sure, it'll be okay. a, a, a you pick it or an event. It'll yeah, be you pick it. Sure. And you said that these you pick events like the lavender, um, they they're kind of set up really just to give people another experience. I mean, you obviously make money on them, but they're not, it seems like you're pricing them very fairly and very, it's more about connecting with your customers. Sure. Exactly. It's about keeping the narrative alive. Okay. And keeping the story going. Right. Right. The story of high hand is, you know, plants, you know how to connect people with plants. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. We, we want to inspire people. Oh, that's okay. We want to inspire people. Well, so we're a small fish in a big pond. Mm-hmm. We have box stores around us. We have a, a very large independent garden group that's around us. And Right, we, so how do you differentiate yourself? Uh, we pick our battles. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we just have to pick our battles. And um, we do it by being a little bit, try to connect on a different level and making high hand part of people's lives. Um, we've... You know, during the week we get grandma and then we get grandma and daughter and then we get daughter and the kids and then on uh, Saturdays we get the daughter and the husband and then on Sundays we get the whole family for brunch. So this this is progression that that has developed over time. Right. It's ritualistic and habitual almost. Yeah, I get... In uh, a good way. It's not uncommon to have a husband and wife sit there and negotiate with each other over a tree. Okay. It's not uncommon, you know. Um, 
if you're not used to buying a four or five hundred dollar Japanese maple, there's usually a discussion. That sure, goes on. it's a major purchase. Either the wife doesn't want it or the the man doesn't want it, right? right? And um, so it's not uncommon for me to send someone down and say, "Go get a glass of wine, relax," you know. <laughs> and now it's not a discussion anymore. Right, they're not having to like stand there with their arms no. folded. It becomes something, you know. It just becomes something that's a little more relaxing. It's more of a decision at that point. And, uh, and we're going to make this choice together because mm. we've just we're now in this social setting. Exactly, it's it's a little bit more like um, going out to dinner or something rather than going or, to the car dealership. Okay, or how about maintaining your yard with a bottle of wine? Right. So the way I look at it is, there's four glasses, and I'm, we're not alcoholics around here. But, I know. I, you know. I'm with you. I'm. I'm. There's I like four this. glasses and a bottle of wine. Right. When you're done with the glass, quit. Yeah. Go back inside. Yeah. And then the next night, go get another glass of wine. And when you're done with that one, quit. Go back inside. Because then it's not work anymore. Right. You know, you don't feel like you have to power through anything. Right. You're talking about this as an analogy for gardening. Yeah. You're going to go out and prune all your roses. <laughs> or you're going to go thin your fruit. Or you're going to go weed. Or you're going to go check your dripping emitters. It's so funny. I really find myself... I correct myself when I say I have to go work in the garden. I try to change that around and say I, I get to go spend time in the garden. Because right. work sort of has this negative connotation. I don't mean it, but it just it's a term we've, we've gotten used to saying. Right. So you're trying to turn it around that way. It's not a chore. It's a privilege. Relax. Yeah. You're going to spend time sitting over there and having your favorite drink. Whether it's an iced tea or a glass of water, it right. doesn't matter. Take right. a root beer. Go out to the right. garden. But right. do something with yourself. Slow yourself down a yeah. little bit. Yeah. You know, put your headphones in. <laughs> in or take them out. <laughs> Either way. You know. Yeah, I mean, listen maybe, to music while you're Maybe it's your music while yeah. you're sitting there pruning a rose, you know. Yeah. So you can tune out the ambient noise that's going on around you. Well, this search for, like, uh, connection is also, I think, why your classes and workshops have been so successful. And uh, it seems like that that's a direction that, um, you know, this people want to have this creativity. They may not be artists, but they want to make a, 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 a succulent hoop that you had 75 people just... No, right. 90 people just 90 did. People. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that seems like... You told me that every department here, except for the rug vendor, who's your friend, yeah. is um, teaching, offering classes. Everybody has to offer classes. Yeah. Sure. Um, because people people want to do things. People want to spend some time um, with their hands on something. Right. So, you know, um, it kind of was born out of... We used to do a lot of the, the sip and paint classes. We used to sit there and you paint and you get to have some light bites and a, a glass of wine. And it just kind of expanded from that. Yeah. You know, it's less about doing, it's more about uh, sitting there and making a succulent wreath with your mom. Yeah. You know, that type yeah. of thing. Or you buy it as a gift. Right. So. But you also, I was just have, you have this little station where you can make uh, plant succulents in a pot and you provide the pots for free. Like, what's su- that about? The succulent bar. Yeah, yeah. I love that. So, buy all of our succulents. We have a table that has um, cactus uh, mix in it. And basically, we provide a, uh, a small. Um, terracotta pot and you can fill it with succulents like a six inch pot or yeah, something it's, it's a yeah it's like a six inch azalea yeah pot. and uh you can you know you you get to put it all together you bring your containers up to the register and you just pay for the plants you pay for the plants people have a lot of fun but then for gift giving or taking home and if you don't have a, access to a pot bag of potting soil you just you're not it's like a like an inherent value add then you're not charging people for sure it. right it's really simple. Is that the only thing you really have right now is succulent bar, or do you see, like, would you do some something with flowers, for example, um, make your own arrangement, or is that kind of... 
I can in see the that. Future. I can see that in a class setting. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, fresh fresh flowers can be a challenge because they're on the the. the perishable side of the spectrum. Right. Plants um, aren't so much. Yeah, yeah, plants aren't. But when we do classes, we can harvest flowers freshly and, and right. do it that way. Right. You know, so right. we will probably get into preserved flowers. That'll be something a little more permanent for people. Yeah, that'll you be know. interesting. Yeah. Well, I feel like the thing that the lesson that I'm taking from getting to know you is that you really try to communicate directly with your customer. You don't necessarily use a lot of paid advertising. You are messaging, you know, in the way they want to receive information, which is a newsletter from you or, you know, some quirky, you know, email that you'll send out. And it's really, you're the brand. Is that how you want it to? I mean, am I, am I right? Or I, I don't know that I'm the brand. I think the message is the brand. Okay. Yeah. It's the message. And, it's, the, and the message what is, is that? Um, it's simple. It's not overthought. It's meant to create a little bit of provocative thought. You know, occasionally I'll tie it to. Oh, I dabble a little bit in politics, but you have to be really careful. But I'll, <laughs> I'll tie it to you know, Democrats prune this way, Republicans prune this way. Right, something kind of tongue in cheek. And, and they and they both screw it up, by the way. <laughs> you know, so here, let me show you how I prune. You know, <laughs> draw your own conclusions. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> That's uh, great. you know, little things like that, or we talk about the value of nature's services, for instance. Mm -hmm. If we got rid of the mosquitoes, what do you really think would happen to the world? You know, right, right. Um, then the bats would go away, and then the fish would go away. I mean, all these little things, and that gets people to stop for a moment you know let's not be afraid of our snakes right because if I have a snake how much does it cost you to hire someone to get rid of all the rats and mice right so it's right. easier to get over your fear so we talk about silly little things yeah you know yeah. Um, I have a bird nest of robins right out my kitchen window that I've been taking pictures of over the last uh, 10 or so days and um, and then the snake uh, miraculously showed up on the lawn, probably waiting for the bird to come out of the nest, right? So I'm going to do an email about that and fly out, and I'll tie it back into the nursery business mm -hmm. about how nature operates, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, nature is this incredible thing out there that I think has, because of our world, sometimes get stuck on the back burner. The world becomes perfectly plastic, and I'm just trying to not make it so perfectly plastic. Right, right. We, we, we do have a bit of fear about the wild, yeah. And yeah. you're trying to make the wild a little more accessible to people. Ultimately, what really controls us, the wild does, right? Right. Mother Nature's in complete control. Right. You can't even determine when your lavender festival is until right before... Not until she tells you. Yeah. 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 Or when the peonies are going to bloom. I have no idea. Right? I mean, right. anybody listening to this that's a flower grower would simply know that fact. Right. You know? And There's also, no, no certainty in, in, <sighs> in agriculture. Yesterday I had great tomatoes. Today they're all split because it got 110 degrees and I over or underwatered something. Yeah. You know, and how do you know? So. Well, the last thing I want to ask you about, if you're willing to talk about it, is you've mentioned it a couple times in presenting to this group, is about this, like, I'm going to say this wrong, but like fear-based decision-making. And, and can you just, you know what I'm talking about, that idea that you had where what, what causes you to constantly refresh and constantly be willing to make changes and not be so committed to an idea if the idea goes wrong. What, what is that I've idea? Just, I've found over the years that, you know, if I can learn, if I learn to manage my fear-based beliefs and that has tied to self-confidence, um, there's probably a little bit of ego woven in there. Mm -hmm. Anybody that's going to step out and grow flowers is probably inspired by somebody, right? Right. And they do it because they want to they think it's a great lifestyle, or their ego is telling, hey, I think I can do it better than that person, 
and I see an opportunity. Right. Usually if that's, if it's ego driven, they usually fail because okay. chances are the person that's been doing it kind of knows where all the bodies are buried in the industry and knows more than you think. Right. So don't go down that road. Right. If you get into it from a passion based standpoint and then don't allow fear to dictate your decisions. So it really is about managing fear based beliefs. So you're saying that fear is a good thing. I think it checks you up. Okay. I think it creates a boundary. And I also think it's uh, a motivator. Yeah. Sure. If you can push through it and, and get... You have to. Yeah. Imagine yeah. if you're a rich car salesman. Yeah. How successful of a car salesman might you be? Because you're not that attitude. hungry. Yeah, exactly. The best car salesman is one that's, that's hungry. Yeah. And uh, for me, I'm in a perishable business, um, so it puts me on my toes, right? Right. Because I have to be attentive to it. And yeah, then, plants are constantly sure, they're dying. They're doing, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're cycling. Everything yeah. cycles, and it cycles quicker than anything else. And so I think managing fear-based beliefs and then having the courage to realize that something's not working and change directions. There's no reason why you can't just go left for a little while. And that going backwards is not exactly a failure. Going backwards is actually just um, re- rebuilding what you thought you know, putting, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to go back and put a little more foundation under myself. Mm-hmm. And I, if I have to follow my fields for a year and, and do cover crop for two years to, to have, to be able to leap forward, my results forward, have the courage to do that and make that choice and make that decision. Yeah. You know, making choices right or wrong is not a bad thing. At least you have the courage to make one. Right. So don't be afraid to. Right. For me, That's... I just kind of put it out there a little bit, see what the universe opens up. I'm not a overly spiritual guy. I just think that the universe generally kind of provides these little openings. If you're if you ask the question and you're you're open to yeah. what comes through have, that door. Have the courage to fail. Know that you will. Don't beat yourself up over it and move forward. Well, th- yeah. The more you Thank fail, you. the more you fail, the more you <laughs> learn, quite frankly. Right. I, I feel like it's a kind of a pep talk, Scott, that I <laughs> uh, you you've just given us and um, you know, in an unexpected place because your um, your industry is also going through a lot of change. And as you said, you're surrounded by big box stores and uh, you're the last man standing or one of the last few men standing in the independent garden centers. And, and that whole way of life has changed dramatically since the economic downturn, you know? They're, They're changing for lots of reasons, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, you have corporate box stores, obviously, that are, you have plant factories turning out plants. Um, you have a generation that isn't coming along with what their dad might have started. Right. Land becomes more valuable as land than it does as a nursery. So all these economic factors tie into it, you know. So here we try to vertically integrate and uh, create everything as a big circle and work through it that way. So. Right, right. You're not just opening the door and hoping people come in and buy plants you're giving them a reason to come in you bet and that's the lesson I think is super um, you know easy for people to borrow in other types of green industry you know floral or or plants like um, the events the ways to engage and make something um, maybe sets you apart and helps you differentiate you and of course in my opinion um, promoting local flowers is a way to differentiate because sure. there's also a story to tell. I think that you're hitting it when you see people. I walk through the nursery. Nobody really knows who I am. Nobody points me out. So I get to carry a, a bag of dirt out for somebody, right? <laughs> right. I say, hey, where are you from? Did you like it? Was it worth it? Right. You know? And uh, because nobody knows who I am, I get, I get access to ground floor information that you normally might not have. 
And I think that the indicator for me is when everything's going right, people don't know how to describe their experience. Mm. They just go, huh, how about that? Yeah. And they can't quite figure it out. Right, because they don't even know why they feel happy. Yeah, I need to come back. I need to bring my brother back. Why do you need to bring your brother back? Because I think he would like this. Mm. Why do you think he would like this? I don't know. I just think he would like this. It's and, cool. And, 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 well, but that's what I want to hear. Right. You know, I don't want to hear, well, the place is so clean or everything's so fresh. I know that. That's expected. Right. right? Everything's faced forward. The flowers are always blooming. That's expected. I want to know what they're feeling and what's tapping into that, that feeling. Yeah. That makes them think about you. I mean, I've, I've heard the phrase, I've read the phrase, that you know, the, the measure of a garden is in the grief which haunts you after you've left it. Mm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, high hand, maple rock, I really want it to haunt people. Sounds scary. No, no. But, but yeah. they're not, it's, it's the haunting in a good way. Yeah, I want, I want it to be, you Hate know. to stay with you. Sure. And for me, as a businessman, I just want to be in the narrative. Mm-hmm. I can't be the box stores. Right. I can't be the big the big independent nursery here has multiple locations. I can't. So I do pick my battles and I simply want to be in the narrative. Right. You know, if you think about sandwiches in your area, probably Subway comes up right away. You may not go to Subway, but they're in the top five or the top three or the top right. two. That's all they want to be. Nike, Reebok, Adidas. Those are the top These three. brands, yeah. Exactly. So I just want to be in that conversation, right? Yep. I just want to go, well, you have this store, this store, and then there's high hand. Right. And I'm perfectly fine with that. Right. Because that's a, a, an easier place to be. Um, it's a smarter place to be. And uh, I just want to be in the narrative. Yeah. So everything I do is by keeping me in the conversation. Yeah. And you keep people in the conversation by communicating with them. Sure. And so they, they get to know, you know, season in and season out what's happening here and how they can participate. Don't treat people like barcodes. Yeah. The box store treats you like a barcode. Yeah. The plant's yeah. barcode. You're a barcode. Right. That's all there is to Right. Well, Scott, thank you so much. I'm so glad you were willing to talk a little bit about High Hand and what you're doing here. And uh, I see a lot of a lot of inspiring parallels for people who maybe are in a rut and, you know, need to take let that fear push them forward a little bit just to try one new thing. Sure. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for sitting down in our little kitchen back here. <laughs> we had to get away from the street noise. Next, next to the walk-in cooler and the, uh, <laughs> the uh, proofer oven here. So we're going to um, uh, share photos of High Hand and um, Maple Rock and all of Scott's social places at the show notes at deborahprinzing.com. So um, be sure to check that out. And if you're in Sacramento, well, get on his mailing list. You can see what, what kind of events are happening. That'll be the... That'll be the reason I need to come back. That's fun. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know this was a long episode, but we had so much great news to share. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Scott Paris as much as I have. If you haven't received the Slow Flowers July newsletter, look for its link in today's show notes. There are a number of things you won't want to miss, including details about the just announced Slow Flowers Summit 2019 and the just posted call for applications for farmer florist design teams interested in creating one of our pieces for the American Flowers Week 2019 Floral Couture Collection. I'm grateful to all of our entire community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define 
the Slow Flowers Movement, as our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of American cut flowers, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the right column at deborahprinzing.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 335,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. Thank you to our sponsors who have supported Slow Flowers and all our programs. They include Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of passionate family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing bigger, better peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliages, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, palladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfield-gardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Mayesh Wholesale Florist, family-owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. Certified American Grown Flowers, the Certified American Grown Program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit AmericanGrownFlowers.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American Grown Flowers on the table one base at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. And special thanks today to Stephen Yossi. 